0: How international conflict can inspire philanthropy and fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and we're joined once again by my colleague, Dr. Kathy Bottasher. Kathy is the Director of Graduate Programs at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, which also houses the Fundraising School. I'm very honored to uh, serve on the academic faculty at the School of Philanthropy. So Kathy's one of my bosses, one of the leaders I report to in that assignment. And Kathy is a great example of what happens when you pursue a master's degree from our school, because we're not teaching you how, we're asking you the big questions, we're presenting you with concepts, Uh, we're putting in some moments of tension to really think through some uh, very complicated issues that then help you develop your leadership skills for the philanthropic sector. and We've always enjoyed when Kathy has brought these lessons from history that we can apply to our leadership today and tomorrow for fundraising success. So Kathy, I know today you have this story of international conflict, World War I, that can inform today's fundraising.
1: Absolutely. So I think this is my fourth podcast with you. Thank you for yes, being my boss being today. <laughs> um, and there are a couple themes from history, right, that, um, that I keep reminding us of. And um, things we take for granted today had to start somewhere. Yes. Right? So, the Red Cross, we take for granted. One today. of the largest nonprofits a- in the world. Absolutely. Um, but you may not know the Red Cross was taken to scale, uh, really changed from Clara Barton's individual vision that she um, was, was fueled by this idea when she visited Europe after the Civil War. But the Red Cross was a struggling small organization lo- looking for its... Um, its purpose in life, and then um, World War One changed everything. Mm. Um, world War One, of course, changed the world. Changed, but changed a lot of things. A lot about philanthropy. So, to understand how that happened, uh, we need to know about an enterprising gentleman named Charles Sumner Ward, and Ward was an executive, a fundraiser who worked for one of the YMCA yes. branches in Grand Rapids, and. He had been working as a fundraiser for several years for the Y. He worked all year long trying to meet these modest goals, and he was a little fatigued. Um, I bet your audience can relate to fundraising fatigue, right? And so he went to his board and said, what if we try something a little bit different? What if we consolidate our fundraising effort into a short period of time, we'll make it a more intense effort, and then I'll leave you alone for the rest of the year. And they said, well, we'll we'll give it a try. Mm -hmm. And this went really well. Okay, Then the war breaks out, and the Red Cross has a new executive director um, in New York City, He's a banker and he has big dreams. And so he says, all right, we are gonna raise $180 million across the country. Nothing like this had ever been even dreamed about before. And so he taps on the shoulder of Charles Sumner Ward and says, we've heard what you're doing at the Y and we think you might be onto something here. And so the Y agrees to loan Ward to the Red Cross, the penancy of World War I. Wow. And so the Ward Plan and the Whirlwind Campaign became a staple of fundraising. And so things like an intense period of time. Yes. Right? Uh, working on fixed fees because Ward agreed that uh, volunteer. Campaign managers would either would volunteer or they would hire someone in a community because the Red Cross also wanted to build thousands of chapters across the country, right? And Ward really, as a result of the success, created fundraising as a legitimate profession for the first time. And so things like the campaign clock. So Indianapolis is a good example um, and uh, from doing my own work and reading newspaper accounts and things like that. So this happened here, but it's a a great template for what was happening, 3,000 communities across the country. So in Monument Circle, right? The the center of the city, um, they pitched a tent. So we had the campaign tent, we had the clock, we had the thermometer. Regular meetings every noon. Okay, let's update. You know, how are we doing on our goal? And people from all walks of life donated. So children had their own individual campaigns in their neighborhoods. And um, people who were indigenous, um, Indianapolis old families, new immigrants, every kind of person participated in this because we could all relate to the the cause of our own people serving around the world, um, right? Yes. Um, so I, so you're going to ask me as you always do. So what do we take away from that today? Yes. Right. Um, so your your donor pyramid, mm-hmm. um, a, a very important businessman in the community, uh, led. The elite um, at a dinner in which he raised a considerable amount of money um, in one evening, and this is this was legion then for years in Indianapolis. But people from all walks of life, as I say, so you have to have all of those small gifts and build the base. Um, you know, this, your audience takes this for granted, but again, you know, things have to start from somewhere. So we have this phenomenon, um, the. Advertising, banners, posters, the um, campaign headquarters in a central location so that this message is, is visible and prominent, a constant reminder of the urgency of the situation, staples in our own way, in, you know, in all of our own work um, of, of how we create those connections with donors.
0: You know, Kathy, when you talk about the ward plan, Mm -hmm. it fully ties into what we teach at the fundraising school, which has a 14 step process for fundraising to really emphasize that fundraising requires planning and fundraising is a management process that's part of the broader management and leadership of the nonprofit organization. We see all of this in what the Red Cross did with Ward and what the YMCA did with Ward even beforehand, uh, the planning and the management function. But I'll also say a flip side of this. One thing I caught from your story that's Mm -hmm. so important, and when I teach the Understanding Philanthropy course at the master's level uh, in our our master's program, this whole idea of, yes, we professionalize the field of fundraising, but can we go too far and over-professionalize the field of fundraising and lose the charm and the power of the volunteer. And it sounds like Ward found a balance of both. You mentioned his plan and his professionalization, but then I heard about all these grassroots people, regardless of their background, being part of the solution. And I take that as a lesson from this, that we always need that balance to certainly be good managers, professional, be planning, but make sure we're still tapping into the power of the everyday person to help make the world a better place.
1: Agree completely.
0: Well, what a wonderful lesson and a tragedy from World War I that was turned into something in the American Red Cross that flourishes to this day. And it sounds like regardless of whether I'm small, medium, or large, these are lessons that I can apply.
1: 100%. And we, we know from um, one of our founders and early director, Bob Hayton, that philanthropy is a response. Yes. And this is another reminder that... Um, not that it's a silver lining that, uh, that we get the Red Cross taken to scale and professional fundraising, but it is an outcome, a consequence of something tragic. And um, so philanthropy is there to, to remedy pain and suffering in the world. And I think we should be proud of this legacy.
0: It's a response to a problem. Philanthropy and fundraising also responds to an opportunity. Maybe you see the lack of a theater or mm-hmm. the arts or something like that can happen in your community, and this story shows you that the opportunities are possible. It's a lot of work. It's not easy. You're telling a story that happened over many, many years, right. but shows you the potential of what can happen even today and as you plan for tomorrow. Once again, you see the depth that uh, you can tap into as a master student at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. As Dr. Botticher's presentation, today really gives you evidence of the big questions the big topics the big issues in which you are immersed and allows you to develop as a leader in the philanthropic sector and now the master's degree is available entirely online wherever you are in the United States or around the world you can earn this degree uh, at your convenience your timetable to get that next leg up both academically and and professionally. For more information about the master's degree, go to our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu and you'll see information there. You'll also find information about the fundraising school. This is our executive education. Courses that are two to four days, fundraising techniques and approaches. We now have four certificates, along with the certificate in fundraising management. We now have a certificate in fundraising leadership and Dr. Bodicher teaches a course on ethics in fundraising as part of that leadership certificate. We also have our nonprofit management certificate in partnership with SPIA, the O'Neill School here at IU, and of course a new certificate on college athletics fundraising. We can customize training and bring it right to your nonprofit, your association, your region, anywhere across the world. We also have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts which you can also use for staff training and for your board development as well. Again, all on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu and then at a forward slash The Fundraising School. I'm Bill Stanjakovich and now you are now more up to date on this first day from The Fundraising School.